All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome. So glad you guys are here. Good morning. Welcome to The Exchange. Uh, my name is Josiah. So glad you guys are here. Um, really about The Exchange is just a church where we're just trying to seek Jesus together and make this, this gospel made known to all the world. So um, we're glad you're with us. Uh, and we are actually in the gospel of Mark. We are taking like the year to be in the gospel of Mark to focus on the life of Jesus. So uh, if you guys would, turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. But Mark chapter 3. Uh, just a reminder, so you guys are aware and kind of know what's, what's happening today. Um, we're excited. By the way, last week was so special. Um, that was our first Easter and, and Good Friday service as a church family. And it was so neat to see the Lord work and move. And um, today, we we're actually having our first like baptism as a church family. And I believe there are seven people we, we've called and spoken to that signed up to get baptized. So um, it's exciting. I was like, I hope one person gets baptized, and there's like, God's like seven. I'm like, all right, sweet, that's great. So excited for that, uh, our first baptism as a family. Uh, but just in case you are new, you're not sure, like, wh- what are we doing here? What's this all about? Um, we are going through the Word of God. We're starting the Gospel of Mark. We want to focus on the life and ministry of Jesus. So we're in Mark chapter 3, and let me just kind of catch up to speed so you know who's Mark, what's going on, what's happening here. Uh, Mark is also known as John Mark. Uh, if you guys know, Mark spent time with Peter. He spent time with Paul. He spent time with Barnabas. Uh, Peter calls Mark a son of the faith. A lot of Bible scholars will say that the Gospel of Mark is actually the Gospel of Peter in some ways. Not completely, but in some ways. Like this is Peter's gospel saying, as I spent time with Jesus, here's what happened. Here's how it flowed. Here's how it worked. So when you read this, I feel like I see some Peter-isms and some emphasis on Simon. Then now he's Peter, and it's kind of fun to see it from that lens. But Mark is also known as that ADD gospel because Mark just kind of goes from one story to the next. And if you're like me, and you're like, your attention spans all over the place, and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Uh, like, there's new light, there's lights, what is that? There's a plant on the stage, there's a plant now. I don't know, if you're like me, this is a good gospel. Because um, Mark moves on very quickly. Just so you guys know, Mark focuses less on the teachings of Jesus, and more on the work of Jesus. Mark is the gospel that actually takes less time on his teachings specifically, and says, this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done. You decide. Who is he? What did people say about him? What did Jesus claim? But this is who he is. This is what he did. You decide. So I like, I like Mark's gospel and how it just presents to us the power and the person of Jesus. So uh, we are in Mark chapter 3. And if you guys were with us two weeks ago, we had a guy named Steve Mayo here, and, and he was sharing. And, and specifically, here's what's going on in the passage so you know what's happening. Uh, Jesus was in the temple. He's in the synagogue. He just healed a guy who had like a, a withered hand. He said, stretch out your hand. He heals this guy, but he healed him on the Sabbath. So Jesus did an awesome thing. Think about having a withered hand, not maybe being able to work, provide for your family. He heals this man with the withered hand, and it's a beautiful thing, but it's on the Sabbath. And it frustrated the religious rulers. It frustrated the religious people. Like, how dare you do something on the Sabbath? And it's interesting because in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, this is the first time they sought to destroy Jesus. Mark 3, verse 6, I'll read it. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. It's interesting You have these religious figures, the Jews, and you have people working for Rome, working together to destroy Jesus. You would never see the Jews working together with Rome, only in this case to destroy Jesus, right? And it's funny how people from different backgrounds would never really work together, but if it comes to to stopping Jesus, they'll work together, right? Like they're coming together, let's stop this Jesus. He has to stop. We don't like what he's doing. We don't like his following. We don't like his crowd. So from this point on, this is kind of where Jesus' ministry shifts. He's getting more and more popular, his fame is growing, 
But now there's a group of people who are out to dis- destroy him is not a small word, right? That's not like, they're out to like quiet him. Like they're out to destroy him. So there's a shift in his ministry at this point in time. And we're actually going to read the part today where Jesus, is, Jesus chooses or appoints the 12 disciples to be the 12 apostles. And, you're, and they're already following him, but this is where he kind of designates them specifically to be apostles. And so here's what we're going to look at today, just because of the context and our verses. We're going to look at the crowd versus the community. There's a crowd of people who are excited about Jesus, but then there's the community of Jesus, those following him, those who know him, those who are with him. And I, still, I think still to this day, there are crowds of people who are interested with Jesus. They're fascinated by Jesus, even if they don't believe he's God. They're going, but still 2,000 years later, there's a couple billion people on earth following him, and they're fascinated by this person of Jesus. And there's still some interest in Jesus, but there's a difference between being interested in Jesus and understanding the fame of Jesus and actually following him or being community with him. And so we're going to look at the crowd versus the community. And, and honestly, my own heart and your heart, we have to see, like, where are we in that? Because there are times I think we're following Jesus at a distance or we're interested or fascinated. Like, I, I like that guy. But, like, are we actually in community with Jesus, like the 12? So we're going to see the crowd versus the community. So I want to read, uh, it's Mark chapter 3, verse 7. We'll read it through, and then we'll pray and look at this more in depth. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. So remember, they just wanted, they want to destroy Jesus at this point in time. They're like, let's kill Jesus. Verse 7, what does he do? But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. He's going to the Sea of Galilee, just so you know. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and Jerusalem, and I'm not going to say that right, Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, and a great multitude. When they heard how many things he was doing, they came to Jesus. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For Jesus healed many, so as many as had afflictions pressed about Jesus to touch him. And even the unclean spirits, wherever they saw Jesus, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And so Jesus leaves the sea, verse 13, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed the twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And here's the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boandrines, the sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed Jesus. And they went into a house. These were the men that Jesus chose to change the world. And he's still choosing men and women for misfits to change the world. Amen? Let's just pray over this text, and uh, we'll give this time before the Lord. Father, we just thank you. We do thank you, God, that we can slow down, look to you. God, thank you for choosing the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God, thank you for the fact that if anyone glories, we can glory in you, God. Lord, I just ask that um, we would see the difference between the crowd and the community that is following you. That Jesus, how you appointed them, how they walked with you, and they were like you. And Jesus, we ask that these things would just be more than words on a page, but still today, that we'd be with you and be like you. God, for everyone in this room, that, that we would follow you intimately and closely and be with you and like you, Jesus. So God, even for those who are getting baptized today, Let today just be a special day where they've decided to follow you, make this publicly known. 
identify with you, Jesus, in your death, burial, and resurrection, and identify with so many men and women for the last 2,000 years who've also identified with you through baptism. Thank you for that. So we just look to you and just celebrate you now in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, all of us, every one of us in this room, we all have some good habits and we all have some bad habits. And probably we all have some more bad habits than we do good habits, maybe, I don't know. Um, but we all have some good habits, we all have some bad habits. Think about your good habits, think about your bad habits. What are some good habits, good routines, good practices that you have? And you're like, I like that I have this. People make fun of this habit or routine, but I like that I have this. Or maybe you have some bad habits, and you don't want to admit that it's a bad habit. But we all have some good habits and bad habits. I asked my wife, what are my, my bad habits? And I have, a, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to uh, say them. So I'm like, I'll just skip that. Uh, that's a bad idea. Um, no, but I, I actually just think about this. Some of the habits we have in life are not just habits that, that we've made up. They're, a lot of times they're inherited. A lot of habits we have in our lives, whether good, whether bad, came from most likely a parent, a close family member, someone we know, someone we spent time with. It's funny when you see groups of people hanging out and they all start saying the same things and sounding the same way. And you're like, why do you do that? And you're like, I don't know. It's like we pick up on these things really, really easily. I was thinking about some inherited habits and the, the habits of my parents, and they're not here, so I, can, I feel like I can do this, but forgive me if they do hear this one day. Um, my parents have some good habits and some bad habits. My, my mom, for example, uh, embrace, brace yourself for this one. She loves Oreos. Like, who, who doesn't, right? And... Uh, I love the filling. I love the middle part of the Oreo. This is just so, I'm sorry if this is going to gross you out. But my mom loves to take the Oreo and she loves to eat out the filling. Okay, that's normal. But then she puts it back together and puts it back in the box. And when you're like 14 years old, you're like, oh, Oreos. And you go grab an Oreo and you eat and you're like, why is there no filling? And then you like see like liquid. You're like, ah, like, I'm sorry. But that was, that was some habits in our family. And I, I don't do that. I eat it out and I throw it away. I also have that same habit of eating out the middle, but I just like throw it away. I'm like, no, it's okay to eat the middle. Just please don't put it back, right? Uh, but my mom, you know, honestly, seeing her other habits, my mom was a woman who just loved to pray. I remember walking into my room and it'd be my mom praying on my floor. And I'm like, what are you doing in here? And she's like, I'm praying for you. I'm like, get out. You know, like a, a punk kid, you know, get out of my room. Um, but my mom had this habit of praying. My dad just worked for UPS for like 30 years or something. And my dad showed me, here's how you work and here's how you, how you work. You work hard and you work as unto the Lord. I remember being a little kid and my dad would give me an allowance. And he's like, listen, here's your allowance. All of it's the Lord's. And he asked you to give 10% back. God lets you keep 90. And God from a very young age was like, isn't that good? that all of this is God's and you get to keep 90? And like that has been my perspective since just a young child that I can give back to the Lord. It's, it's a privilege to give back to the Lord. All of it's his and he just says, give me a tenth. And that was a, a practice I had from a very just young age, from a really small time. There's so many different habits I've seen in my parents and in my friends. And, and maybe you would agree with this, maybe not, but it's been said that more is caught than taught, right? Like we catch more sometimes more than I can teach you, but you're like, I want to see it in your life, Josiah. I want to see prayer. I want to see that you, you care. I want to see generosity. I want to see this. And so I do think that more is caught than taught. Think about some, again, the habits in your life. You've probably caught more than someone saying, do this. You've probably caught and received more than what was taught. And here's what I want you to see. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is actually showing his disciples what to do. Because it says that they wanted to destroy him, and it says he withdrew himself to the sea. And in Luke chapter 6, Luke gives us more specifics on what happened. It's Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 12. It says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Same story. Same thing happening. Jesus showing them, hey, here, here's something I'm showing you in my lifestyle. I'm going to go to this, this sea, and I'm going to go to a mountain. This is the passage we're reading, and I'm going to spend all night in prayer. 
And the disciples caught this, and they watched this. And you can see, my, my point is, you can, you can see the traits of the disciples by just, by, you can see the traits of Jesus in the disciples. Like, people who spent time with Jesus, you know they spent time with Jesus. There are people in my life where I look on at them and go, I know you spent time with Jesus. I know this habit in your life is coming from someone else. Like, it's not like you even get the credit or the glory. Like, you just spend time with Jesus. You saw this in Jesus, and this is now a part of your life. And here's kind of my point. There really is a difference between someone following Jesus close, like the community of Jesus, versus just the crowd. The crowd will not pick up on the habits of Jesus. The crowd will not become like Jesus. They'll just admire him from afar. But the community of Jesus will eventually become like him, and this is what's happening. And so here's what I want to point out today in this passage. If you just caught this or read this with me, there's kind of three different people groups, and we can learn a lot from these three people groups. Here's the first one. We see the coming crowds, the coming crowds. Number two, we see the declaring demons. And number three, we see the called community. All right, here's the three crowds we see. And don't get lost in this. You're going to see the coming crowds. They're coming to Jesus. We're going to see what they're like. We're going to see the declaring demons. And what does that have to do with us? We'll talk about that. And then we see the called community, the called community who Jesus specifically calls out and appoints. And so here's kind of the three groups, and I obviously want to focus on more of the last one, the called community. All right, so let's just spend time on the first one really quick. All right, the coming crowds, the coming crowds. Read with you would if you, meet, with, if you would with me in verse 7. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. It says, But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and Jerusalem, and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the crowd, because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For Jesus healed many. So that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. All right, this is the popularity of Jesus' ministry. This is where Jesus' ministry and fame is, in a sense, is growing. And I, I do have to point this out. These lists of cities that he's giving are, are not just like a random list of cities. It's not like he's just trying to impress you with the list of cities. He's saying, look at people from the north, south, east, and west are all coming to follow Jesus. They're all coming to hear Jesus. And they all want to know about Jesus. And, and you kind of see what's actually being told in the book of Isaiah that everyone, every tribe, every nation, every people group, north, south, east, and west want to come together to know God, to worship God, to understand God. This is in a sense happening partially with Jesus in this region at this time. People are infatuated with this person of Jesus. Who is he? I've heard stories. I, maybe if I can just touch him. And there's this infatuation and excitement for Jesus. And there's, again, a lot of times there are crowds who don't necessarily want Jesus, but they want something from Jesus. They're infatuated with Jesus. And this is what was happening. There's this infatuation with Jesus. Here's what I want to point out. The crowd will always ask this question, what can I get from Jesus? The crowd will ask the question, what can I get from him? And I have to point this out in my life because I am guilty of this. A lot of times my prayers are like, this is Santa Claus wish list. Like, and Jesus, can I have this? And please bless me with this and bless this person. And a lot of times it's just like, I'm just requesting things. It's what can I get from Jesus? And there really is a difference. The crowd always just wants something from Jesus while the community just wants Jesus. And please hear that. And this is what I have to point out. And I love that Jesus says, hey guys, get a boat ready for me. They might crush me. Uh, It's funny because BBC wrote an article called Why People Get More Stupid in a Crowd, um, which I think is very true. If you've ever been at a concert or you've been at an event and like something happens, people just go, they're just stupid. 
Like something happens, you're like everyone's stupid all of a sudden, right? Like maybe you're like, how did everyone, I've seen different marches for movements and things, and they're like destroying shops and windows of people who are also marching with them. They're like, I'm with you, and you just, that's my shop. Like it, it, we just get stupid in crowds sometimes. And Jesus is like, hey guys, the people are going to crush me, get a boat ready for me. And again, here's what I want us to see with the crowd. The crowd asks, what can I get from Jesus? And I'll say this, early on in my Christian faith, as a young Christian, maybe you, just early on when you started to decide to, you know, when you started following Jesus, our main concern is, what can Jesus do for me? What can I get from Jesus? How can I make sure I just don't go to hell? Like, I think a lot of it's just like, I just don't want to go to hell. That's why I'm following Jesus. And sadly, I think we kind of have this really low view of Jesus. And I want to say the difference between, again, the crowd and the community is not that what can I get from Jesus, but the community says, I just want Jesus. I just want to know him. I want to be with him. I want to enjoy him. Not just what can I get from him, but let me just enjoy him. And I've talked about this before, like, and it's just true. You know, later after service, my son's going to come in, and he's going to probably give me a kiss because he wants a donut, right? Or he wants something in the back. That's what's going to happen because he wants something from me. I'll be nice to you. Let me give you a kiss. I love you. And go get something. And that's what we do so often with God. It's like, I will come. I will be around. I'll, I'll go to community. I'll go to church. I'll give. I'll do these things because I want something from you, God, rather than just wanting God. Rather than enjoying God. You know, my, my, and it's weird to say favorites. I know it's always hard to have favorites, and you're going to say, is this really your favorite? My favorite psalm, specifically, is Psalm 27. And if you've ever read that psalm, just every verse, I'm like, oh, it's so good. And in Psalm 27, 8, David's writing this, and he said, God, you said to me, seek my face, and my response is, your face, Lord, I will seek. And I want you to hear the intimacy here. God said to David, David, seek my face. And David goes, God, your face, that's what I'm going to seek then. You want me to seek your face? Then I'm seeking your face. What does God say? Seek my face. What are we guilty of so often? I seek the hand of God. God give. God do. God bless. God, I, I just want your, your hands are really powerful. Your words are really powerful. And God just saying, David, seek me. Seek my face. You know, I think about, this just kind of reminds me of Numbers 6. There's something called the priestly blessing. The priestly blessing. And it's talking about God's face shining upon you. And the idea of just looking at the face of God, just looking at the face of Jesus, just reading, reading about Jesus because you just want to know Jesus and enjoy Jesus. Not because it's something we have to check off on our list or feel like we did something now, spiritual, profitable. It's like, I just want to enjoy Jesus. And guys, it is a fine line for me even to go from just needing to read the Bible because I think I should to like, just I want to read to just enjoy. Can I ask you, when was the last time you opened the Bible to read it just to, just to enjoy Jesus? Not like I need, I need a word for today I need something from God. Just like you just go, Jesus, I just want to enjoy you. I want to know who you are. I want to see your face. I want to know what you're like. I want to fall more in love with you. Guys, are you following me this morning? There's a difference between the crowd going, I, he can heal me, and someone just going, I just want to be around him. I just want to be with him. There's a major difference. You know, in Psalm 16:8, I love how David put it this way. He says, I, have, I always set the Lord before me. I've set the Lord always before me. And there's something about, there are things that will crowd my space, crowd my vision, this person, this need, this obligation, all of these things get set before me, and David's like, I'm setting the Lord before me. And setting a lot of other things crowd my time, my energy, my, I'm just going to put the Lord before me and enjoy him. If there's a practice we can practice more in this church is how do we set the Lord before us? How do we just say, Lord, I'm, there's distractions and pain and suffering and all these, I'm going to set you before me. I'm going to look at your face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. You know, I want you to see Jesus does heal much of the crowd. He does heal. He does help. 
And, and the thing I love about Jesus is if you notice that when you read the full Gospels, all four Gospels, Jesus loves and is compassionate, moved with compassion over and over again. Like he loves and serves the crowd, but he doesn't overly cater to the crowd. Because the crowd's also the one saying, you should be king. You fed us food. We should make you king. And Jesus is like, mm, that's not why I've come. Or, or the crowd's like trying to do something or say something about Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, let me make this really tough. If you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you can't have part of me. And they're like, uh, this is hard. And they leave, right? Like Jesus, like he loved and had compassion on the crowd. But he also spoke truth and said, now, do you still want to follow me? Do you still want to follow? I'm, I'm going to say the hard thing. Do you still want to follow me? I'm going to tell you the hard thing. Do you still want to follow me? There, there's something where Jesus has compassion on the crowd but he's also very real and transparent with the crowd. And I think, again, are we the crowd where we just come to Jesus because I, I have a request, I have a need, or I just come to Jesus because I just want to be around him? You follow me on this church? This is the difference between crowd and community. Why do we come to Jesus? And I'll say, guys, I have to repent many days, if not every day, about why I come to Jesus. Because it's not, it's not all the time about just enjoying him. And that is the place we're trying to get to. Just, I just want to enjoy you. So we, first we see the coming crowds. Next, we're going to move on because I want to get to the third point. Next, we're going to see the declaring demons. So the crowd comes in. They're pressing him. Look at verse 11. And then the unclean spirits, whenever they saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out saying, you are the son of God. But Jesus sternly warned them that they should not make him known. Now this happens often in the gospel of Mark and other gospels. Maybe you've read something similar. He quiets them. He's like, shh. Don't talk about me. Don't share this. I have to point this out. This phrase, you are the son of God. Know this, so far in the gospel of Mark, no man has said this yet about Jesus who's been around him. Just so you know, Mark chapter 1 verse 1, Mark tells us why he writes this book. We'll put the verse up. Mark 1 verse 1, Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. So Mark is saying, this is the gospel of Jesus. He is the son of God. Now let me tell you about the son of God. So far, though, no person that we've encountered has come to Jesus and said, Jesus, you're the Son of God. That hasn't happened yet, but demons have. A couple times now, demons are like, you're the Son of God. But there's been no person yet. And I, I would love for you, I'm going to get to this, but if you study the Gospel of Mark, the whole point of the Gospel of Mark is to get a person to say this. And it climaxes in Mark chapter 15, when the centurion sees Jesus hanging on the cross and says, truly, this is the Son of God. That's the climax of the Gospel of Mark. That is what Mark was trying to get to. He's like, yes! I wrote this so you can see that he's the son of God. Demons say it. The father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, but I'm waiting for a person to say this. I'm waiting for a human to say this. And so this is kind of what it revolves around. Now, again, so this demon goes, you're the son of God. And Jesus goes, stop it. Stop. Don't talk. Don't, don't share this. Don't talk about this. And I'm like, why? Well, I think there's many reasons why you wouldn't want a demon to be your like promotion person. Like, you're, like, there's a, like hey, who's your PR? It's a demon. He's pretty good. Like, I'm sure there's many reasons why you wouldn't want, want that. Uh, but I do think there's a side to this where Jesus is saying, he's saying, you might know me and have good theology, but you don't know me. You might be right, but you don't have a relationship with me. And, and church, this is what I want us to hear. I think there are many people, I think this is scary for me. This is where I have to search my heart at 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. As I was growing in my faith with God, there's people who have really good theology, but they have no relationship whatsoever. And I think in the church, there are people who can tell you everything there is to know about Jesus. And they have decent theology, but they have no relationship. The demons had decent theology. Like James even says, they believe in God and tremble. They, demons know Jesus died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus rose again. They've been conquered. Like Demons know this, right? Do they not have good theology? But they have no relationship whatsoever. And I think this is what concerns me so often when I see just young, zealous people in their faith. It's like, it's like awesome, theo- great theology, but is there relate? You have knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Great, you have knowledge of Jesus, but is there love in your life? Is there relationship in your life? Do you, do you, there's truth, but is there trust? 
you're speaking a lot of truth, but truth, but is there trust? Is it, is it now transforming from knowledge to just penetrating your heart and changing everything about you and your lifestyle? And again, this is where I think we want to get to as a church, is not just knowing about him, having the right theology, having the right doctrine, but knowing him, having deep relationship and intimacy with him. Amen? You know, I, I always hesitate to tell, to tell stories like this because I don't have many, but I've, I've had very few interactions where I think all of us spiritually have had interactions where you go, man, that doesn't feel like that's fleshly. That feels spiritual. Like, that feels like more than... That feels more than natural, right? Um, I've had, you know, we've all had been a part of different spiritual oppressive moments, but there's been a few points in my life in ministry at churches and in various countries where you go, okay, that's not oppression, that's demon possession, or that's something more than that. Myself and another pastor one time were meeting with this guy who confessed a lot of sin and then just started getting very strange, started getting very weird and started, you know, screaming and kind of losing it. I'm not going to get into it and like freak you guys out, but it's weird. I, I have deep relationship with, I knew this guy for like a year. And I'd say his name, I go, hey, hey, like, and he was, this is like an hour long into the conversation. He's like drool and snot and spits coming out. And you're like, okay, something's not right here. And I would say, hey, hey, and I'd say his name. And I'd say, hey, hey, I know you. Who is Jesus? And it's really, it was really bizarre. He'd say, Jesus is born of Nazareth, Jesus is born from Nazareth, born of a virgin, the sinless son of God. And he'd, he'd have this re- rehearsed answer over and over again. I'd be like, hey, who's, I'm like, hey, that's not you. I'm like, who's Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, born of a virgin, sinless son of God. And he had the same answer over and over again. And I remember just sitting there and like, with other pastors, we looked at each other. I'm like, this is, he had every, everything was right. He was defining Jesus really right. But we knew it wasn't him. And my point is, demons know who Jesus is. They, they could preach the gospel, but there's going to be no power associated with it. It's not going to advance the kingdom. God has chosen us to preach the gospel. And it's sad to me to think that, again, there are Christians who can say this, Jesus, son of God, born of, we can say those things, but is a relationship it, it, there's the truth, but is there the trust? Is there the intimacy? And again, not to get weird, not to creep you guys out, not to freak out, but I do think that, the, again, the, the spiritual realm is very aware of Jesus. They're re- very aware of those who follow Jesus. And we see this happening, we see them declaring Jesus, and Jesus like, stop it. I love the story in Acts, where Peter or Paul is sharing the gospel, and there's like little girls like, you are apostle of God, and sent by God. And he's like, demon, come out. <laughs> like, and then if you remember that story in Acts 16, and she's like, and it comes out, and then people lose their business in the city. He's like, you might be talking about Jesus, but that's not, that's not Jesus in you. And again, I, you do see this. It's like, how do people go door to door and talk about Jesus, but it's not, like, how does it happen? It's like, well, how did it happen then? Again, you can have some sort of truth maybe, but it's maybe without relationship. Anyways, keep going on. All right, so uh, you're like, what, can we move on? Yes, we can. All right, so we have the coming crowds. We have the declaring demons. Now we have the called community, the called community. And this is the community we want to be part of. This is the community we want to talk about. It's in verse 13. It says in when Jesus went up on the mountain, so he left the sea, and he called, he called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal the sickness, to heal sickness, and to cast out demons. And then he's going to name them in a second. All right. Here's Jesus calling his community to himself. Here's him appointing the, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. He's calling them, he's appointing them, he's sending them. And there is so much here. And we're going to look at this because what does it look like to follow Jesus? Can people tell you're a follower of Jesus? How do, how do you, people know you're a real follower of Jesus versus not a counterfeit? Like, what are some fruits of that? What does this look like? What does your character look like? I think there's so m- much in this sentence, in this passage, but I do need to point out a couple things, but I, which I find fascinating. Many guys who, and girls who like read this, and Bible people who study this, I love they point this out. Jesus went from the sea to the mountain, and this is where he calls out the disciples. 
And just so you know, whenever you read about the mountain in the Bible, like a mountain or the mountain, mountains are usually where God speaks. It's usually where God's revelation takes place. It's usually where God moves. In in the scriptures, when you see mountains, you see something's going to happen. God's going to speak. God's going to move. God's going to do something new, do something different. It takes us back when you read this. It takes us back to the story of Moses. Moses passed through the sea. He passed through the Red Sea, and then he takes the nation of Israel, and he he goes up on a mountain where he gets this revelation from God. He gets the commandments. He has this new community in a sense. This is kind of what's happening. It's bringing us to Jesus, saying Jesus is a greater Moses who leaves the sea and goes up on a mountain, and he's doing something new. And he's creating something new. So you see mountain, you know that God's going to speak. God's going to move. Something's going to happen. Something new is going to happen. And then the fact that there's this 12 disciples, and this idea of 12 speaks now of the 12 tribes of Israel, and that God is doing something new. Like, this is a new work that God wants to do. Just like you have the 12 tribes down below with Moses, you have Jesus, and you have the 12 people he's about to appoint to now go out and be a light to all the nations. So people who know this and study this saying, this is taking us back to Moses. And this is taking us back to a huge point in Israel's history and now the church's history where God's going to do something new. And if you guys look at verse 14, it says he appointed, he appointed the 12. He appointed. If you would circle that word appointed, it can mean made or even created. If you take this and you look at the Hebrew, uh, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in Genesis 1.1, it says God created the world. And in Hebrews, this word bara, it means to create out of nothing. So if I, if I you know, made something up here, I'd usually have to take something to make it and be like, look, I just took my Bible and made it into like an origami thing. I don't know. I'd have to take something to make it. God creates things out of nothing. God takes nothing and is like, boom, I created that. I didn't need anything. I just I created it. This is what's being used to describe the 12th. He's creating something out of nothing. <laughs> and that, isn't that not, like, I love that. That is, not, that is so me. Like, God's like, I'm going to take nothing and make it something. <laughs> I'm going to make it into something. I'm making these 12, I'm appointing them, I'm making them, I'm creating them into something new. This is a new community. And, and here's what I have to point out. So what's happening here in, in uh, Mark chapter 3 is this is a new community, a new community. And I want you to see it's in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. We'll throw it up here. This is what Peter says about us who also helped Mark write Mark. Uh, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who are once not a people, but you are now the people of God, who have uh, not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He says, you're not a people, but now you're people. This is what he's doing with the disciples. You're not a people, but now you're people. Obviously, they're, they're people, but this is new. This is something new that God is doing. And, and the, kind of the hope and the focus of this is not just the idea of a new community, but it's saying this is going to be a new community based not upon the law, but based upon me, based upon a, a, the person of Jesus. Guys, here's kind of the point of even church, our, our church. We are a community following Jesus. What we have written down, what we try to make really clear, and we put in our little bulletins and saying we'll put up here is we are a community following Jesus, seeking the glory of God. We want to be a community of people. We're following Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the center of this. He's the focus of this. I've set the Lord always before, that a point of, of us meeting and saying, let us get Jesus back on the rightful throne. Let's get Jesus back in the rightful place in our lives and as the church. We want Jesus to be the center. We are community centered around Jesus. And now here's why the church gets messy and here's why it gets difficult so often. Because so often the church is no longer centered around Jesus, but it's centered around us and me and what I like and what you like. Like think about this. When we have community groups or we have times where like, let's gather together, we will normally break off and talk to people like us 
We want to talk to our age, our people, people who look like me, talk like me, sound like me. We usually have community where it's like, again, I'm, I like to talk with people. Like it's, This is how we think. We're like, you like this music too? I like that music. You have good taste because I have good taste. Like That's what we're really thinking. Like, you're brilliant because I'm brilliant. Like, we, we like to gather in groups of people that are very familiar. And yet, we're going to see, as we just read, we're going to see that these 12 disciples don't have a lot in common. Some do, some don't, dramatically. And the idea of community is that it could, you could be different races, background, gender, social status, mo- money, economic, it doesn't matter, but we are all one in Christ. We have something so much greater in common that I love our community groups when you're like, oh, this person's you know, 17 and single, and this person's 55 and has grandkids. Like, great, that's wonderful. But sometimes we're freaked, like both sides are freaked out. The 17 year old's like, I don't know if I'm beautiful. 55 year old's like, I don't know if I'm beautiful. Like, we get freaked out by that. But this is like what God does so often is he creates a new community and the center, the center point is Jesus. The focus is Jesus. Because we might have a ton of things in common, but we have the most important thing in common. And that's, what the, that's what's happening here. Jesus is creating something out of nothing. It's a community centered around him, a community following Jesus, seeking the glory of God. That's what he's creating. That's what he's doing. And know it's cool. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still a part of the same community. Are we not, is this a different community? Are we not a community following Jesus, seeking his glory? I mean, this is like the same thing. We, we, we can identify with these guys and these women and all these people that come around Jesus. Eventually, you look at this big community. We're a part of the same thing. We're community following Jesus, seeking his glory. So you, we see a new community. I love how John Stott said this about the church, and we'll throw this uh, quote up here. John Stott's like kind of those, you know, spiritual ninjas. Uh, he writes, For the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. Hear that again. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. This is not an afterthought. God's like, oh, I can't, I'll start over. Maybe we should just do this thing called church. Like, we are built upon Jesus, for Jesus, by Jesus. He's the foundation. He's the center. He's the goal. He's all of it. And we are just that community following him. So he's creating a new community. And, and here's what I want to get to with this. Not is it just a new community, but if you notice, there's these prepositions being used. There's also a new relationship. There's a new relationship happening here. Because look at verse 14, and you can read it in this new relationship. It says that they might be with him. Circle with. The whole point of this, you guys, is being with Jesus. And, and again, please hear, before you do something for Jesus, before Jesus sends them, there's a side of it where it's like, just be with me. If there's anything I can encourage you and myself with, it's like before we start like, now let's go and do these things for Jesus, let's just be with him. He appointed them that they might be with him, with him. Jesus like, just spend time with me, know me. You can communicate my heart as you're just constantly with me. Like there's, there's people in my life, obviously my wife, my family, there's some people I'm so close to, friends even, I go, I know they know my heart. They can, they can speak into this. They can do that. Like their idea of like Jesus saying, you, you know me, you're with me, Go. You can represent me. You can be an ambassador of me. Be with Jesus first and foremost. You know, one of the best stories is in Acts chapter 4, right? The church just started. The Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples. They preached the gospel. People are getting saved. Peter and John are going to the temple. and like, let's go pray today. And as they're going to pray, there's a guy that can't walk and can't move. And he's like, do you have any money? He's like, silver and gold, I have none. But what I give you, I give the name of Jesus. Rise, step, and walk. And this guy's walking now. And he's like, oh my gosh. Anyways, crazy story, right? Peter and John get arrested. They're arrested for what happened. And I love Acts 4.13. They're trying Peter and John, and, and the religious rulers are trying them and talking to them. And I love what they say about them. Now, when, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, they knew that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And their only thought is, they realized, uh, they must have been with Jesus. Like, I love that. They, they must have been with Jesus. Like, these guys are not that smart, not that great. Oh, I get it. The power, they must have been with Jesus. First of all, they know Jesus is powerful. 
<laughs> and then secondly, they, they see that power comes from being with him, and these guys have been with him, and the idea of being a Christian is just being with him. Guys, the, being, uh, the idea of being a follower of Jesus is not complicated. Are you with Jesus? Are you, are you for him or against him? Are you with him? And that's, that's what he's communicating. Jesus says, I've appointed, I've made you a community, a new community. I've appointed you, made you out of nothing to be with me, to be with me. And guys, I want to say before we do anything for Jesus, before we try to accomplish anything for Jesus, let's just be with him. Let's just enjoy him. Let's just walk with him and know him. And I hope people can say, oh, they must have been with Jesus. That's the difference. You know, I think there's often the church, people, that's not a reputation. It's like they must have been with some awful organization. They must have been with some crazy mind. They must have been with Jesus. They, they see this and they recognize this. And now it moves, listen, please listen to this though. It moves from being with him to being like him. So you will, if you are with Jesus, naturally you will be like him. Because I love how verse 15 or 14 and 15 says, he sent them out to preach and have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. What does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. I'm sending out to preach, to heal, to, to, to set captives free. It sounds like Jesus now. After being with him, you will be like him. And there's a side where like Christians, that we, sh- we are looking for some sort of fruit. Like, hey, you spend a lot of time with Jesus, but why aren't you like him? Like, there's, the point is, if you're spending time with Jesus, you will be like him. He sent them out to preach, to heal, to do everything that Jesus did. He's like, you're, you're my hands and feet. You're, my, you're the extension of me to this world. What, you are the ambassador of Christ. You are an ambassador of me. You've spent time with me, now, now go be like me. And again, a Christian will be with Jesus and like him, amen? Eventually, we, we will be like Jesus. <laughs> and I know it takes a while, and I know it takes time, and I know, like, tomorrow, you're not, you're, you're not like Jesus yet? How dare you? Like, it does take time, and there will be failures, and, and we are not Jesus. We will be like him. But the idea is that eventually, Jesus is like, now go, go and do. Because here's kind of the point. What we've experienced with Jesus, Jesus is like, people need the same message. You've tasted and seen the Lord is good. You've experienced the saving grace of God that you were once lost on your way to hell far from God and God has rescued you and redeemed you and saved you completely by grace, completely by grace through faith, nothing that you've done. Okay, share this with other people. Okay, don't keep this to yourself. You found the cure for cancer? Awesome, give that cure for cancer to other people now. That is basically the idea. Like go, go, be sent, be like him. And this is our hope as a church. It's not just we gather on Sundays and we're like, this is a good little Bible study, bye. Like it can't be that. It has to be we, we're with Jesus now. It's like, let's be like Jesus. Let's be in community together. That's why we have groups meet throughout the week. That's why we encourage our groups to go and do things together in community. It, 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 can't, it, has to be, it can't be forced, but there has to be some sort of like, let's just do this out of the love of our heart. Let's go, let's serve, let's redeem. And this is what we want to be. It can't just be some holy huddle and be like, see you next week. Like, let's love and serve our community in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's what he sent them out to do. And then... He chooses these 12, and I have to read the list again because it's just a group of misfits, and I'm so thankful for that. Let's just read this group really quick. Uh, Verse 16, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boandrines, the sons of thunder, we'll explain that, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. All right, so that means they're close together. They're in proximity. They're in community. All right, here's, I love that the inner circle of Jesus is just a mess. And even after Jesus died and rose again, and you see the power of Peter, and like he shares the gospel, there's still times where Paul's like, Peter, you forsook the gospel by not eating with Gentiles. Like, you forgot the gospel, Peter. They're still, they still screw ups often. There's still times of failure and falling. And yet somehow these 12 men turn the world upside down. 
the book of Acts says, or right side up, right? Somehow these 12 men were still used to change the world. And I love that you have, you have Simon, Jesus gives him a new name, and, th- and I wish I could talk about names for a long time. I, I was thinking about doing a sermon just on his name being changed, because there's, some, there's something really powerful about this when Jesus says, hey, you're Peter. Just so you guys know, Peter was not a common name. That is, it, it obviously means rock. Peter means rock. But like, when we think rock, we think of like Dwayne the Rock. Like, right, we think, that's not a common name though. People aren't naming their kid Rock. Like, oh, this is Rock. Like, maybe, but that's not a common name. That wasn't a common name then. That's not a common name really now. The idea of Rock, he's saying, you are not this, but you are this. He's not waiting for Peter to prove himself to be the Rock. He's saying, you are the Rock. You're going to be this. And I love that Jesus speaks this identity over us saying, you're not this yet, but I'm making you this. That you don't have to deserve this. You don't have to work for this. It's not like he worked for the name Rock. Like, that was a name where, like, Peter must have felt, when Jesus says, hey, Peter, he must have felt like, could you imagine Jesus like, hey, Rock? Yeah, it's me. You know, like, that must have felt so good. And then when he's like, hey, Simon, he's like, oh, dang it, he called me Simon again. You know, when he goes back, he's like, Jesus, don't go to the cross, far be it from you. And he's like, hey, Satan, get behind me. Like, dang it, I was Peter, now I'm Satan. Like, you know, there's this idea, though, with, with his name being changed, it's saying, you are not this yet, but I'm, I'm saying this, I'm declaring this over you. And, and there's something about that. There's something about this name change. And you can read name changes in the Bible, and it's a beautiful thing. When God gives it, and in Revelation, it talks about how you and I, when we, he who overcomes will be given a stone with a new name on it. You and I will have a new name one day. I don't, I don't know what that one will be. I don't know what your name will be. But there'll be this idea of God saying, no, I'm, you have a new name. And you know what's really cool about the new name? It's usually your greatest weakness that God now makes the greatest strength. Peter was rocky. Peter was all over the place. Peter was like a little crumbler. Like he'd like fall apart. Like a little girl, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, I don't know him. And he's swearing. Peter was not the rock. Peter was far from it. It's probably the opposite of him. And yet Jesus gives him that name. I really think that Jesus says, what's your weak point? I want to give you the name of the other side of that. Like, I want to tell you, I want to say this, that you are this. I've made you a new creation. This is a new community. You have a new relationship. This is what's happening. Jesus is forming something brand new. And that's what we're praying. We're saying that this is like a new, for us, this is, we're a younger church. We're a new church in the area. But we want to be about Jesus and for Jesus and centered around the name of Jesus, for his glory, for his kingdom. We're saying we want to join what's happening here that what happened here in the book of Mark has not ended yet. And it's still happening all over. There's wonderful communities that follow Jesus, and we love them, and we're encouraged by them, and we're just praying for more communities that are following Jesus. Amen? That's our desire. And so I want to say for us, church, there's a difference between being the crowd and being the community. There's a difference from saying, Jesus, I have a need from you, and saying, Jesus, I just need you. There's a difference. And my hope in my life is to get more to that place where I say, Jesus, I just need you. I think I need this, I need some help here. I need finance. I need here. And it's like, I just need you. Because if I have you, I have everything. Because apart from you, I can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. And there's that idea of, oh, Jesus, I just need you. If I have you, I have it all. And so that's what we want to be. A community following Jesus, seeking the glory of God, the good of the people, and the renewal of South Florida. Amen? Let us pray for that. Let us cry out to God for that. We're just going to end with some worship, you guys, because we want to bring the attention back to Jesus. And then we're going to share a couple little thoughts with you, all right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've made all things new. I know that I, we, need to be made new. And so, Jesus, just make us new. Make our hearts new. Take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. God, for everyone in this room, I I don't know where they're at with you. You do. You do. You know them by name. God, you've called them by name. God, I ask that there would be a side where you call the disciples and it says, and they followed you. Let that be true of us, that when you call us, we just follow you. So Jesus, God, we just ask that you'd move and work in this place, that our hearts and our minds would be centered and focused on you, Jesus. And just your wonderful and precious name, we're here now to sing to you and cry out to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.